Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, now offering three FDA-approved therapies for different forms of lung cancer with more in the pipeline. When it comes to lung cancer treatment, one size does not fit all. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about e-cigarettes, vaping, and cancer risk with Dr. Sutritra Krishnansaran. Dr. Krishnansaran is a professor of psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Gore is a professor of internal medicine and hematology at Yale and director of hematologic malignancies at the Yale Cancer Center. Well, this is really a timely topic uh, with all that's going on with the, the recent health crisis with vaping. That, was, that kind of came out of the blue, it seems. Yeah, vaping has evolved or e-cigarette use has evolved over the years. And it's unfortunate that we had all these crises and um, you know, especially young people who um, experienced a lot of lung damage and inflammatory conditions. And um, you know, it's, it's rather unfortunate. But, uh, um, you know, there is the devices per se, there, there are multiple devices in the market and, you know, they, they were generated with, with a good cause in mind, I would say, initially. Um, unfortunately, uh, they have taken on a life of their own. Do you think that the original motivation was to be able to wean people off cigarettes? Do you think absolutely? I think the uh, the original devices, which were uh, developed by a Chinese pharmacist, hmm. um, were actually created to offer smokers a cleaner form of nicotine to help with their cigarette addiction. As you know, most people who are in the cancer field know very well, um, tobacco smoke, combustible uh, cigarette smoke, is one of the worst uh, well-known causes of cancer and a variety of other inflammatory conditions. So um, there has always been the hope that um, we would be able to get smokers to quit um, uh, using their cigarettes. Uh, That has not always played out the way that we'd like it to. A lot of smokers still smoke despite, um, you know, having multiple health problems, despite knowing the health risks of smoking. So the idea here was that perhaps if you have a cleaner form of nicotine available to them, the the underlying thought being that nicotine is the addictive substance in cigarettes and therefore if you can you know, replace that addiction with something else, then perhaps smokers will be able to quit this combustible product, which is, of course, fraught with so many problems and has, you know, as everybody has heard, 4,000 chemicals and causes combustion and has a variety of respiratory issues. So I think I really feel the concept behind it was a positive one and the idea of um, uh, potentially helping smokers quit with a cleaner form of nicotine also called harm reduction, um, is not an idea that we should throw out uh, as yet. And yet the success with uh, either nicotine patches or nicotine gum, those are the two that come to mind, Mm -hmm. uh, has not been terrific, right? And not that many people are successful using patches or gum. I guess some people are. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a couple of problems with patches and gums. Um, um, The main problem is that they do not deliver nicotine the same way that a cigarette does. One of the things that is most reinforcing about Uh, somebody smoking a cigarette is that initial peak in blood nicotine levels you get when you combust the product and you get an elevation in blood nicotine levels in your your body. Um, You don't get the same kind of delivery with nicotine patch or nicotine gum. And most people who use these products don't like them because it's not satisfying their craving and their withdrawal symptoms. Um, there There have been studies which have shown that if you combine the two, for example, if you combine nicotine patch and gum, 
come together, you have better outcomes because essentially what you're doing is you're boosting up that nicotine level. Mm. Um, so there are ways of manipulating the existing products to make them work, uh, but people are always on the lookout for something new that could help uh, be even more helpful. Now, is there a difference between an e-cigarette and vaping, or is it are they just the same? It's a very good question. No, they, they are essentially the same. E-cigarette is the device. Vaping is the behavior. I see. Uh, that said, people are vaping. You know, you can vape whatever you put in the e-cigarette device. So um, they were originally created for nicotine. Um, you can get them with nicotine. You can get them without nicotine. You can get them with a variety of flavors or without flavors. Um, and nowadays, uh, you also get products which are easily manipulated and are being used to, um, you know, administer things like marijuana right. and a variety of other things, which in, in in a sense, I feel is what the CDC is saying has led to the current crisis that we have right now, um, the so-called black market or manipulatable use of these devices. Hmm. Now, uh, the e-cigarettes that one can purchase in some you know, drugstores, for example, can those be refilled with stuff from uh, vaping stores or is it it's a separate device that's the fillable kind? So there are a variety of devices on the market and each one of them can be manipulated however you want I see, it. gotcha. Um, so the, the if, um, you know, this is of interest, we started out with a very, um, with a device which was very rudimentary, which really did not even deliver nicotine that well. Uh, it was called a Sigalike um, when it initially came out. Uh, the nicotine solution per se that was formulated and in the device was not formulated very well. So people didn't really get enough nicotine from these devices. Over time, these formulations have become a lot better. Um, so they, you have these closed systems which look almost like a cigarette and are right. called cigalikes. Then you have, then they evolved into a variety of other systems. You have um, so things called tanks, which are refillable clear tanks that you can fill with any e-liquid that's on the market. Um, you have things called mods, which are basically, if you've um, if you've seen people use them, they are these. Um, they don't even look like cigarettes. They're square boxes or rectangular like boxes. The, this is like the jewel thing. No, that's no. I haven't gotten to that oh, yet. Oh, gotcha. no, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure what you're talking about, but go ahead. Yeah, they are these little box-like mods. They're called box mods, and okay. you can put a variety of attachments onto them. Um, um, you to make the vapor better, you know, you can produce more vapor, you can change the resistance of the devices, you can change the temperature of the devices, so you can make your vape experience a lot better. And a lot of people who use these kinds of devices use them for um, shows, you know, there are um, competitions that you can participate in, vape competitions for creating... You're kidding, the, like smoke rings and stuff? Like smoke rings, you're oh going back to goodness. smoke rings, but you know, they can do a lot more Fancy. uh, fancier things with these devices. And then now the newer generation devices is the one that you probably heard the most about, which are the pod-like devices. These are the Juul device. Um, the Juul devices, the, the way they vary from the other devices is in, in multiple aspects. Um, first, they are very small and they are discreet, so they can be easily hidden. The Juul per se is a closed system, which means you cannot technically manipulate it. Um, uh, they, uh, it comes with nicotine and it comes, you know, it used to come with a variety of flavors, but now those have been taken off the market. Um, the Juul also differs from the earlier devices because they use a nicotine salt 
in the in the device. It's called it's a benzoic acid salt, and these salts um, cause for faster absorption and a faster peak blood nicotine levels. Oh my goodness! Um, as opposed to uh, free base nicotine, which is what is in all the other nicotine uh, liquids that exist in the market. Um, now, free base nicotine and salt differ, as I said. Most cigarettes contain free base nicotine. Um, nicotine salts are not just uh, not just reach your blood, you know, increase blood levels a lot faster. They're also supposed to be more palatable. Now, I this is what is said. I have not seen evidence of this, but it's said that um, e-liquids that contain nicotine salts um, can be used a lot more easily because they do not produce that harsh undertone that most freebase nicotine has. It tastes but it stings, right? It stings in the back of your throat or makes you cough or, you know, it just huh. tastes better. Um, Jewel-like devices, just to, you know, to follow up and answer the question you asked earlier, um, Joule-like devices, as I said, were closed systems, but the market has evolved to now where there are Joule knockoff pods, where you can actually buy um, uh, clo- uh, open pods, fill them with whatever you want and use them with the Joule device. Um, and then this has then evolved into even other products, which are like the Joule and uh, come in multiple flavors. So I think the problem with this market is in the quest to come up with a product that works for smokers um, with the idea being that it needs to produce the maximum nicotine level. It needs to be palatable. It needs to satisfy the smokers. We have created this market that is producing all these devices, which unfortunately are also very attractive to youth, hmm. which is what has led to the huge Problem. youth epidemic that we have with the, the current CDC number saying that almost 27.5% of high school youth are using uh, these devices. Regularly? Um, in the past month. Those are the numbers. So these are, so there is, uh, uh, there are, they, they asked all these kids, have you used these devices in I the see. past month and how many days have you used them? Mm-hmm. Probably not, I'm sure not all 27.5% have used them every day in the past month, but a significant number did. And how does that compare to what the use of cigarettes used to be like in that population, say, 20 years ago? So it's probably, I would say, coming up to equivalent standards. Um, and it's a little hard to make a, an apples-to-apples comparison with these two products. The reason being that, you know, a cigarette is a combustible product. You light it, and then you have to use it up before it burns out. With these devices, you have the option of charging it, taking a puff, and then putting it back in your pocket, and then using it whenever you want. So it's not like it runs out at the same rate that a cigarette does, right. which is one of the big problems that we are in this field, we have in this field, because we don't know how to quantify use of these devices and equate them to cigarettes at this point. The only thing I can really think of is looking at things like nicotine and cotinine levels, um, you know, which exist in both. So it's it's a different beast, I would say, than cigarettes are. But I would say the use is about the same. The 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 scary thing about these products is how much they appeal to youth. Number one, and um, you know my area of research is really on understanding youth substance use risk behaviors and developing interventions for it. So I have uh, worked with a lot of substances in the past, but I've never seen anything grow 
<clears throat> so exponentially as I have with these products. It is, it's pretty amazing how the appeal of these products has just grown exponentially over the past few years. So what is the appeal? Is it that they seem cool? I mean, I understand the flavors, but, you know, kids can get flavors from chewing gum and all sorts of candy and other garbage, right? Right, right. So there's, um, so we've been looking into this quite a bit in our work. And um, I think there are, you know, we still need to understand the full picture, but here's what I think is going on. First of all, you get multiple kinds of devices, right? So it's very innovative. Um, you can do smoke tricks with these devices or vape tricks with these devices. That's another innovative aspect of things. Kids who are that in that age range, you know, teenagers to um, 18, 19 or so, are really looking for things that they can make their own and yet give them this innovative aspect of it. You know, all, all our lives, they're always being told, don't do this or don't do that. Here is something that they can manipulate to kind of make their own. They can choose from, I mean, anywhere between seven and 15,000 flavors. Um, there's an amazing range of flavor uh, flavors out there. Um, they can choose to use it with or without nicotine. They can choose to put marijuana in it if they want, or they can choose to add, you know, or just use it with other things. Um, so I think they are, the innovative aspect of these devices is really what draws kids to these products. The flavors are a huge appealing aspect of it. We have um, asked um, many youth about this over the years. We conduct longitudinal surveys in um, schools in, uh, in, New, in, uh, in the New Haven County. And uh, flavors are one of the top reasons why um, kids like these devices, like using them. They taste good. Um, the other aspect which they really like is the fact that they're very discreet. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, one of the things we hear a lot from teachers and schools, and we do a lot of work in schools too, is that um, they are easily hidden. Um, believe it or not, there are actually uh, sweatshirts you can buy with um, holes in the collar where you can hide oh um, a jewel. And so in class, you can take a quick puff from it if you, um, if you need to. And they don't produce as much smoke. Right. As cigarettes do. So again, they're very discreet. So there's, you know, I think all these together make, a, make it a perfect storm for youth. Wow. Uh, this is a very fascinating and important topic right now. We've got to take a short break for a medical minute. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, committed to pioneering the next generation of innovative lung cancer treatments. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about genetic testing, which can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Patients that are considered at risk receive genetic counseling and testing so informed medical decisions can be based on their own personal risk assessment. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers. Interdisciplinary teams include geneticists, genetic counselors, physicians, and nurses who work together to provide risk assessment and steps to prevent the development of cancer. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. 
This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Krishna Saran. We've been discussing uh, vaping, uh, particularly among uh, adolescents and youth. Um, so it was really fascinating before the break, uh, Suchitra, when you were uh, telling me that how much flavor really is is drawing um, the youth and and this whole idea of you know discretion. I can I can certainly imagine you know the idea that you're getting away with something. You know I know in my, the place where I get my hair cut, uh, I think. Most of the stylists uh, vape, and they mostly use Juul. And um, and the person who cuts my hair, who really is trying to get off of it, but it, sometimes it, it is kind of hard to know whether he just took a drag or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's not hiding it, but I mean, it's just they're so discreet. No, it's it's very true. I think one of the problems with these products is that it is discreet, and um, also it. Uh, you know, unlike cigarettes, which give you the cues where, you know, there's smoke and it's um, irritating you in the back of your throat, things like that. You don't have those cues here, which are telling you, okay, stop, you've maybe had enough. Maybe this isn't a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. So um, a lot of um, smokers and, you know, I I say kudos to all the smokers who have quit, cigarette smokers who have quit using these products. If if they have quit, uh, if this product has been helpful to help them quit, I think that's wonderful. And um, um, uh, I think that's a great goal. But I would also add that this should not be an addiction that they should maintain for the rest of their life. Um, you know, uh, we, ha- we have studied for many years, we have studied cigarette addiction. We have never really studied nicotine addiction. And this is now opening up a whole bunch of problems and concerns that have been raised with the idea that somebody might be dependent on nicotine for the rest of their life. And, you know, uh, I think we all know that nicotine is an essential receptor in the human body and is involved in almost every bodily function. The nicotinic acetylcholine receptor is there everywhere. And if you're using nicotine, you're basically altering any systems that are related to the presence of this receptor. Wow. Is there anything known about the long-term health risk of just uh, whatever is in the vape, per se, even if it didn't have nicotine or anything else? I mean, is that harmful to the lung? Do we know? Yeah. So, uh, again, I will say, I mentioned earlier that there was exponential rise. You know, the science has not kept up with the marketing and the rise in the use of of these products. Um, So we are learning every day about what these products can do or what harm they can do or not. Um, I will tell you that the products contain substances like propylene glycol and glycerine, which are used as solvents in the product. Some of them contain ethanol. You know, these are all solvents that are used to dissolve um, the nicotine and or the various flavor chemicals that are put in there. The propylene glycol and glycerine, um, we, are, we are learning that they can have inflammatory reactions of their own, uh, <clears throat> but they also, it appears, and some work from our T-cores has shown this, that they actually create um, additional compounds when they're just sitting in, their, uh, in the e-liquid called, these are acetals. And these acetals are also known to have inflammatory potential. Oh, I see. Um, Now, in addition to that, the flavor chemicals themselves are not benign. They are chemicals. They are things like benzaldehyde and uh, diacetyl and, you know, all these other chemicals. Things you find in your chemistry lab, yeah. Exactly. And... um, 
For those of you who don't know about diacetyl, uh, diacetyl is also what was in uh, in buttered popcorn flavor. Oh. And that's it was found many years ago to be associated with bronchiolitis obliterans, which it's is the bad, bad lung inflammatory, inflammatory condition. Mm. And um, so th- these flavor chemicals are not benign as of themselves. You know, they can have potentially um, inflammatory effects on the human body. And then in the vape also contains, um, the aerosol also contains metal particles which are generated from the um, the battery or the heating element oh my gosh. that you're also inhaling. So there is a plethora of things you're being exposed to. Now, do we have clear-cut evidence that all these are leading to cancer? No, we don't have it as yet. There is a lot of emerging evidence that suggests that um, exposure in cellular in cellular models or in preclinical models um, is leads to DNA damage could potentially cause bladder cancer or, you know, lung cancer in animal models. But we have not, I would say, unfortunately, had the time frame of exposure in, in, human, in, uh, in humans to really see this emerge. It could take 10 or 20 years it before could, we see that, right? Like, like it did with cigarettes. It took a long time with cigarettes for us to start linking cigarette use to lung cancer rates. But there's, a, there's very clear evidence that lung cancer rates parallel cigarette use rates and lagged by about 10 or 12 years. Right. So there's a natural experiment going on here, which is concerning. Mm. And um, uh, it's also concerning that a majority of the use of these products seems to be by youth. Right. So what, what interventions have you found, uh, if any, are you working on to either help youth stop using or to even preferably not start using? Right. Um, so I would say, unfortunately, the interventional area has lagged even further behind than the other science uh, because developing interventions takes time. Developing interventions takes understanding the behavior so you can develop appropriate interventions to know whether, you know, you have to treat withdrawal symptoms with a medication, whether a behavioral intervention will suffice, you know, things like that. That said, um, the FDA has um, had a lot of prevention um, uh, programs in place where they they are really trying to educate people uh, through ads and through prevention programs about these products. Um, we here in Connecticut are doing a lot of work with uh, local schools. I think my group has probably visited 40 to 50 local schools uh, just in the past year, uh, talking to students and teachers and um, explaining to them and making them understand that this is not just water vapor, which is what most kids think. They think this is just water vapor. It's not going to harm me. Um, It's not producing any combustion products or smoke. So why should it be of harm to me? So I think education is the first step. We need to make parents and children and everybody understand that you don't just start using the, these products because they are available on the market. Um, the second thing we really need to do is regulate the products well. You know, this is the products have not, unfortunately, unfortunately they have not been regulated well. Um, I would be all for a marketplace where uh, products like these are made available to smokers who might want to use them to quit smoking, but are sold in such a way that they are not available to youth who uh, may want to initiate use of these products. Um, From an actual interventional perspective, we are just starting down that path where we are, um, there there have been some huge initiatives that have been come out from a variety of organizations and NIH is also um, starting to organize, um, you know, conferences on this issue to try to identify the holes and where money needs to be put. 
We are just starting down that path of uh, developing interventions for e-cigarettes. But I think most of these will probably draw some principles or ideas from what has been done for smoking cessation. Hmm. And uh, things that have worked for smoking cessation, you know, as uh, there's a wide variety of things that have worked, um, behavioral interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, motivational interventions, um, um, the nicotine patch and gum, um, and, um, and of course, things like like Chantix and Zyban have also worked in adults. Um, unfortunately, most of these interventions I talked about have worked primarily for adults. Right. And they have not worked very well for kids. So we still have this huge hole um, where we need to do a lot more work uh, to develop interventions for youth. And we are, my group is starting down that path, but we are not there yet. Yeah. Well, it seems like... Um and I'm, I'm certainly not deep in this field at all, but it seems like at some point in the last 20 years, smoking became not cool. Yes. It became kind of gross. It was excluded from bars and restaurants, and there were all these ads about what smokers look like, and it was disgusting. And and um, and I have to imagine the kids don't want to look like that person in that horrible figure. Right. Right. You right. Know, that, that ad that used to be there with this guy who was really decrepit and right. awful. Right. Uh, right. But right now, what you're saying is these devices are seen as cool, and that's right. that's a big problem, I would think. Yeah, there's the problem with this is uh, uh, there's an essential problem here in that we don't have the science that tells us what these devices actually do to you. One of the things that I have learned over many years of working with kids is you do not just go in and tell them this device is going to cause cancer because especially in this day and age of social media, they'll open up an app and they'll tell you, oh, no, hey, doc, this right. is, does not. There's no evidence it does this. So I think we have to be very careful how we approach this. I'm glad you brought up the issue about cigarette um, uh, uh, and how uh, it it kind of became a non-cigarette culture over time. This was because of all the regulatory work that we did, all the education we did over a number of years, which basically um, made people realize that they did not want to be a smoker. And, you know, there was a whole change in culture um, in terms of whether you wanted to be a smoker or not. And being smoking was not considered cool anymore. With these devices, we need to go down that path. Um, I'm hoping it doesn't take us 10 years to get there because we, at this point, I cannot take that man who looked with, you know, with a hole in in their throat or the woman with the heart problem and say, hey, if you use this device, this Mm -hmm. is what's going to happen to you because I don't have the science supporting that message. Mm -hmm. So we have to uh, base it on um, evidence that we know from preclinical models, especially for nicotine. And there is so much evidence of the damage that nicotine can do if it, you know, after long-term exposure from a lot of animal models. Um, Nicotine, especially in the adolescent brain, mm. uh, is adolescent brain is not only known to be highly sensitive to the effects of nicotine, which means you get addicted more easily. Uh, nicotine is also a neurotoxin in adolescents, so it can cause you know cognitive changes. It can uh, it has been shown to cause epigenetic changes, especially in um, in genes that are involved in things like asthma and anxiety and depression. So there is a lot of evidence that we have from animal data that we need to find a way of transforming that into public messages and conveying that to youth and parents. It's very difficult to motivate kids to quit using anything. (laughs) And we have a very tough battle on our hands here. Yeah, and I I just think about 
you know, the, the long history of marijuana use, and you know, certainly nobody's ever thought that was good for adolescent brains, but that probably isn't enough to, no. you know, especially your peers are saying, oh, it's no big deal, blah, blah, blah. Who are you going to believe? Right. And, uh, you know, and on that note, I will say that, you know, the, the, a lot of people are also using these devices for administering marijuana. In fact, the whole Evali, if you've heard, if you heard about it recently, the, the lung inflammatory conditions that yes. were being observed and um, the deaths that we We've had the very unfortunate deaths we've had uh, in the U.S. over the past year have been related to black market use of these devices is what the CDC is telling us now and potentially could be related to the use of things like marijuana and um, other compounds that might be in the solution like vitamin E acetate. Mm. I, I don't quite understand how vitamin E acetate and I've had conversations about this with a lot of my chemistry friends and trying to understand why it would cause the kind of damage that they are observing, but that seems to be the culprit that has been found in many e-liquids that are associated with um, these lung inflammatory conditions. So I think the other message to really get out there is tell people, um, you know, don't make, you know, don't change these devices. Use them. If you're using them, use them as they are available on the market because at least there is some control over what goes into them, even though they are not technically regulated. As yet, um, the companies have a certain degree of responsibility and do try to make sure that they have good products that go in there, but don't use black market products. And does the black market include those vape shops you see everywhere, or is that uh, safer? Uh, So the vape shops are not black market. The vape shops actually have licenses. They are local businesses that have licenses to sell these products. Vape shops, um, you can walk into a vape shop if you're 18 years, um, 21 and older now. Sorry, the law just changed. Um, And uh, they can sell you, you can try out different vaping liquids. Uh, It's almost like, as I say, it's like walking into an Apple store where you can walk in and you can try out what um, vape, uh, what liquids you like and what you might uh, uh, what you might like to use um, so they are not they are not technically illegal Dr. Sutritra Krishnansaran is a professor of psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine if you have questions the address is canceranswers at yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.